You know, one of the things that I don't do, I've never done, but I enjoy watching, is group dancing, right? Like, it could be anything. It could be ballet. It could be hip-hop. It could be, it could be the synchronized swimmers. That's not dancing, but it kind of is. It just is, I love it when it's a group, two, three, four, five, and all their stuff is in perfect, beautiful unison. Like, you don't even have to like the song or the type of dance. It's just, uh, I don't know, it's fun to watch. It's powerful, right? I can't, I can't not watch. And as good as that is, it's equally the other way, right? When it's not choreographed, when four of the five are together and in rhythm and on it, and then one is a step behind or a step ahead, right? It's like the car accident. You're supposed to just drive on by and not look, but man, like when somebody's out of step with that, it's, it can, the same exact dance can be so beautiful and moving, but also so hard and so cringe and so bad. I think we could say that about the local church. When it's right, and don't hear me say perfect, because that didn't exist, but when it's right, right meaning it's doing what it's supposed to do and being what it's supposed to be, right? It's in step, in rhythm with God and what he created the church. To. Man, when it's being the church, not perfect, it's got issues always with people, right? We got fall, but it's in, it's in, it's doing what a church is, it's being the light of Jesus. It's beautiful. It's powerful. It's changed my life. The local church has changed my life. But man, when it's out of step with God, right, it can, it can not just be bad, it can be harmful. So we're, some of you, uh, so many of our church, especially more in our 11 o'clock service, you're new with us. We use a phrase sometimes, untold, unconvinced. We, we started with that. The, the idea behind that, we love you if you're a Christian, right? We, we love that God's bringing us people that already know Jesus. But part of our essence, part of our foundation was that there's over a million people in Wake County and, and we weren't planning another church. We didn't need another church to, to try to get people to come from this church to our church, right? We, we planted a church because there's 700,000 plus, that's a conservative number, 700,000 plus people in Wake County, your neighbors and friends and family that are not connected to a church in, in, of Jesus in any way. So they're untold, meaning you don't maybe understand. There are tons of people, like we could get to probably a thousand people in this room, people you know well that have never really understood the gospel, that it's not about performance or your goodness, it's about his goodness and his love and he rescued and adopted us and this the beautiful news of what he already did on our, the gospel, they, they've never heard it. Like they've heard it, but they've never been understand it or they're unconvinced, they've heard it, but they've never you know, been convinced that it's for them or it's worth it like your life. Right, so we use a phrase, uh, it's not our phrase, it's used uh, a lot of churches. There's a phrase, you ever heard of the phrase, uh, church hurt, right? It's pretty common. So, so we got some folks that are untold, unconvinced. We, we got a decent amount of people in our church, if you didn't know, if you ask them, hey, where'd you go to church before Relentless? They'd be like, nowhere. This is the only church they've ever known. So one of those guys, I used that phrase years ago, church hurt, and he's like, really? Is that a thing? Is that a real phrase? He'd never heard that. He, you know, this was his first church experience, and Unfortunately, I had to answer him and say, yeah, it's a real thing. Um, church hurt exists. And, and it's just, if you don't know, it's just a big umbrella term that, you know, trauma or pain or hurt that happens in churches. 
right? Now, there's a piece of that. What are we going to do? We're humans. Like, it's unavoidable. Things are not going to, like, you hang around with me long enough, I will offend you. I promise. It's just, it's like, there's so this, but I'm, that's not really what church hurt is. That's just, like, relational human interaction. Church hurt is, is a deeper, it's like, no, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm, I've not just been offended. Uh, relationally, I've been, I've been hurt in a deeper way from the church. And there's a thousand scenarios and every, every story is different. But a commonality in a lot of church hurt is unhealthy church leader, leaders. When a church leader is unhealthy, I don't mean not perfect, that's, that has nothing to do with health, but unhealthy in connection with Jesus, even unintentionally, that's going to spill out um, and eventually can cause some pretty significant problems in the church. So that is um, a decent part of the announcement we made a couple weeks ago, not just for me, but for our staff, for leaders, for a, for a rhythm, for a principle. Um, and if you haven't heard, that means you got to get on our email list or you weren't here May 15th, but my sabbatical uh, starts on Saturday. So this is the first sabbatical of my life, right? I'm excited about it. I'm nervous about it. Um, I will not preach for 14 weeks. It is a good thing for me. It is a good thing for the church. Um, if you want to know more, and I hope you do, we, we got a lot of stuff to do this week, but there's going to be um, some links. Some of you care, some of you don't. Links on the website of how we got here and what this is and why this is a good thing. This isn't the beginning of the end of anything. It's the beginning of the beginning of some things. And I'm um, just so excited about that. May 15th, we kind of unpack that whole thing if you want to go listen to that. But a lot of it is just about health. It's about um, not just my health, but it's about our health collectively as a church. So, you know, we finished uh, the fear of missing out. God really answered our prayers in that series so I had a rare week this week where we're not in a series, and this is a, like, I've never gone, I don't know if I've ever gone a month without preaching, like going way back in my career of being a pastor, much less 14 weeks. Um, so I got one Sunday, I'm not in a series, and it's right before sabbatical, and it's Memorial Day weekend, and I can preach anything I want, right? So I thought, I think I'm going to preach a chapter of the Bible. I've never done that. And I know some of you thinking, what you're thinking is, if you know me, you're like, dude, you can't, you can't preach a verse and stay on time. There's no way you can preach a chapter. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking, this is my last message for 14 weeks. Like, we got four or five hours. Where else are you going to go, right? I'm joking. Um, but I am going to, I'm going to preach through a, a beautiful chapter that, that will launch us into the summer, I hope, as a church. Um, and it's very, it's, it's both foundational for who we've always been, but also has taken us a little bit ahead to who we want to be. Not when I get back. We're not waiting on me, um, but even this summer, uh, starting today as a church. So we're going to walk through Ephesians 3, um, but we're going to have to connect back to, to Ephesians 2, which we'll explain in a second. But the first verse of Ephesians 3, this beautiful letter, uh, powered by the Holy Spirit from God, written by a man named Paul to a city in modern-day Turkey called Ephesus. We're going to pick up chapter 3, verse 1. It says, for this reason, and I, you know I, we, can't, we can't just start with for this reason and not know what he's talking about, right? So we got to, for this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, for the, that we're kind of picking up midstream. You can't do that. It doesn't make sense. So what is he talking about for this reason? Well, we have preached a lot in our, in our eight-year history almost from Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 is, man, you talk about 
life-changing chapters. This is a chapter that just met me from going from, man, it'd be cool to have a multi-ethnic church. Like, we should do that. It's going to be like that in heaven. And our, our, our schools and our military and our sports teams are pretty much integrated. Why isn't the church integrated and, and going down that road and all that? It, it took me from all that, which none of that is bad. Ephesians 2 took me to, like, this is not something God is doing. Like, God had this. He called his shot before America was even a thought. Like, his church was from the beginning supposed to be this, this, this incubator for bringing together things that culture said should not be, right? And Ephesians 2 just walks through that. We preach it, so I'm not going to preach it again today. I'm going to preach Ephesians 3. But so you know, Ephesians 2, the first half of it is about you and God. And we talk about being a gospel-centered church. Yeah, it's, it may be the most beautiful 11 verses about the gospel in all of Scripture, Ephesians 2, 1 through 11. Just beautiful language of, I am dead. I can't make myself alive. I'm, I'm dead. I can't do anything about it. But God, who's rich in mercy, who's, who, who's rich in love, it's his love that met me in my deadness. It's not my goodness that makes me alive. It's his grace and mercy towards me. And then it talks about, you know, how we're created as, as God's workmanship that that it's a gift, that grace is a gift from God to you so that no one can stand up here and boast about, look at me, like it's all, the spotlight's all about God's love and grace. That's the first 11 chapters. In the multi-ethnic church, there's a pastor that, that coined a phrase that a lot of us repeat um, that's true, but it's getting better, that the American church is guilty of preaching the first 11 verses of Ephesians 2 and not even knowing about the second you know, the other 10 verses, the second half of chapter two. The second half, to, uh, uh, second half of Ephesians two is the first half is me and God. The second half is what that means between me and you. And it talks about the cross specifically. And the context is racial strife, racial separation, ethnic separation between Jews who were uh, Israelites, Jewish, chosen from God, and Gentiles who was everybody who wasn't a Jew. And it says... Right? You can take my word for it. It's not on the screen. It says that what Christ accomplished wasn't just my forgiveness of sins, but that on the cross, he killed the hostility between the two. Amen. That he brought together and made a new thing that's not Jew or not Gentile. It's a new family. It's a new humanity. And now the two that were separate are now one. And then it ends this way. We need to go back to this to connect to Ephesians 3. Here's how Ephesians 2 ends. Consequently, this is talking specifically to Gentiles, which is anybody who's not a Jew, which is most of us. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers. You're not outsiders. What are you? You're fellow citizens with God's people and members of his household. What do we always say when we preach this, church? What do you call people that live in the same house? Family. Very good. Built on what? On the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus as the, himself as the chief cornerstone. Right? I'm not going to preach for 14 weeks. The, the sinful, selfish, fleshly part of me just wants one person. Just one of you come up to me after church and say, man, I don't know how we're going to make it without you, pastor. Right? <laughs> Nobody said that. And that's a good thing because it's, a, it's, it's, it's funny, but it's not. It's very toxic. It's very unhealthy because we're not built on me. We're built on the chief cornerstone. And his name is Jesus. In fact, I got to thank you, church, because I talked to a lot of pastor friends, and everybody was pro-sabbatical. Everybody, this is healthy. This is actually scriptural and biblical. The only pushback was, man, in my church, they would never go for that. 
right? And I'm like, oh, that's sad. But I think, I think, and our, I told you our leaders, our staff, they were all for it. In fact, some were saying about time. But since we announced this two weeks ago, so many of you just, I'm proud of you. That's what somebody said. I'm proud of you. And you know who's been the lot, like, you know, it's been a lot of beautiful comments, but I just feel that in our family and my marriage, my wife's in the room. We're so thankful for that. But you know, who's been like people that have never like tracked me down and said anything and they tracked me down, made sure they knew that I knew that this was, we have a, for our size church, we have a, I think an abnormally high amount of pastor's kids, you know, grown adults that grew up and their parents were pastors or one of their parents was pastors. And they like for the last, like I've heard from, I think all of them are almost all of them because they know like, man, I know what it is and I'm super proud of you. Right. So I'm, I'm super thankful for them and for our church but we're not, we know where we're built on in Jesus. Now check this last part. In him, Jesus, the whole building, it's not the structure, it's the building of people. The whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple. We don't meet in some special temple. Our togetherness rises up to the Lord. In him, you too, relentless, because this is talking to a local church. In him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. He's like, I go to Relentless Church. That's just, yeah, that's where I go. That's where I attend. No, no, no. You're being built together. Well, I don't even know these people. That's fine. God's, God's design is to build us together as a place where his spirit lives among us and in us. Now we can go back to Ephesians 3. For this reason, what reason? God's building a people. Just like he made a country out of nothing through Abraham and called a shot one day, Genesis 12, all ethnicities and races will be blessed through you, which was a prophecy of Jesus coming and doing what we're talking about now, this church thing, right? Just like all along now for this very reason that God is building together this, this group, this family, Paul says, I prisoner. Now verse two, surely you have heard, this is Paul talking, surely you've heard, church, about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. Paul's story has gotten around. Verse that is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you'll be able to understand my insight, there's that word again, into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Well, all he's saying is there's something that people wanted to know and they didn't know it and God kind of foreshadowed it and he hinted at it and he gave us a plenty of clues, but people didn't know what I'm about to tell you. It's the mystery of Christ. Well, that sounds exciting, right? You wouldn't know you get to get the mystery, but it's not a mystery anymore because Paul does what you shouldn't do if you're trying to like create tension in a movie or a plot. He says there's a mystery and then he just tells them what the mystery is. Verse six, this mystery is... That through the gospel, the good news of our incredible news, of our rescue and adoption, what Jesus came and did, the, the, through the gospel, the Gentiles, that's everybody who's not a Jew, and he says that we're three things, heirs, members, sharers, heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. My goodness, as beautiful as that is, that was violent, that led to violence. To say in the first century that the non-Jews are now heirs, that, what does that mean? You get the same inheritance as the Jewish people, God's chosen people, you get the same inheritance. You're members of the same house, which we just said, of, that's, that means your family. And you share in all the same promises. How? 
How could we share in all that stuff? We weren't even around. In Christ Jesus, that's what the gospel accomplished. It brings people together that were never gonna be together. That's the mystery that is revealed in scripture. Verse seven, Paul says, I became a servant of this gospel. I gave my life to it. By the gift of God's grace, given me through the working of his power. I became a servant of this gospel. And he's alluding to his story. And some of you have heard Paul's story. It's crazy, right? It, it, is, it is unlike, it's the extreme, right? It's part of the reason that God chose him. Paul, before he was a Christian, hated Christians. Like, doesn't, didn't like have a dislike or a disdain. He hated he, he felt like God wanted him to wipe out this cult because they weren't legit, they weren't real, and they kept talking about a Jesus that didn't really die on the cross and for sins, and he definitely didn't raise from the dead. So Paul went city to city, finding Christians, arresting them, and sometimes being a part of their murder, right? I know we got stuff in the room. I don't know if we got anybody whose past includes the killing of Christians because they're Christians. If we do, you are welcome here, right? Because God is a relentless God and he doesn't give up on anybody. But that's Paul's story. Here, here's a beautiful, a beautiful thing about our church right now, relentless, right now in this season. Right? I told the 9 a.m. Um, because the, the, uh, a lot of our newer folks tend to come to the 11, not all, right? But it tends to be a lot of our newer folks that have joined us in the pandemic uh, come to the 11 o'clock service. So some of our 9 a.m. folks, they never met y'all. It was so good. I know a lot of you couldn't make it, but we had almost 100 people at the, at the park on Tuesday night. And it was like, it was one of my favorite nights. So I'll be honest with you. I don't usually like those things. All right, because I struggle um, several. The main reason I don't normally like those things is because I see people sitting by themselves and I see family and I'm like, this family just came to this fellowship event. Why is nobody talking to them? Like, come on, like, I can't, I'm supposed to talk to them because I'm the pastor, it doesn't mean as much. And Tuesday night, man, I tell you, it wasn't like that. Like, people were just hungry for a relationship and they were getting to know people and people that had never met or go to different services and it was beautiful. And our next step, and this is already happening some, but our next step is to start to hear each other's stories, right? I'm starting to learn names. I start to, I know where some of you work now because we've had that conversation. But for a lot of you, I don't know, how you came to Jesus. I don't know when you came to Jesus. I don't even know if you came to Jesus, or maybe that's the next part of your story. It's gonna be fun to find that, but, but it's always, that's what a church is. It's, we're not people that come in the same room and worship the same God. That's true, but there's much more than that. We gotta know, like, what's God doing in your life and be comfortable and bold and, and vulnerable to hear, man, here's my story. Here's what God did 30 years ago, but here's what God's doing now. And the beautiful word in that verse is, is Paul became a servant. He was a very cocky, very arrogant, very uh, messed up, self-righteous, religious man. And then Jesus changed everything and he became a servant. And I want to remind you, because this is my last chance to talk to you for, for a lot of weeks. Um, you are in such good hands and there's a bunch of people, like a bunch of people at this church that on Memorial Day weekend, they get here early and make things happen and work and greet you. And, and it's just a beautiful, uh, but we have to have structure, right? It's one of the ways we love each other and have structure and like who makes the decision on what. So I'm calling this the super seven. Let me show them to you again. These are the folks that are going to handle things this summer. So if you have an issue, if you have a problem, right? If you have a question, if you have a prayer request, if you have a need, uh, 
you, you can go to any of these seven. Whoever you go to may not have the answer right off, but they'll find it right there. So this is our staff, uh, Chauncey O'Neill and David down there at the bottom. This is a, we're so blessed, right? The, and again, there's a bunch of folks. I can't put the whole church on a screen, right? But we, they've just said, yeah, we'll, we'll be responsible. We'll shepherd. We'll do what needs to be done. We'll pray. And, and all, what, what all seven of these folks have in common is that word. Back to verse seven, they're servants. That's Paul. They're not in it to get their, their name or face on a screen, right? They probably would prefer that not happen. I need you to see faces so you know uh, who, who's running this and who's in charge. Uh, but they're servants of God. It's, that's who they are. It's what they are. We're so blessed from it. I'm blessed from it. Um, verse eight, Paul continues, although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people. He's like, I'm, you know, who am I? Like, I've done awful things, but this grace was given me to preach, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, to make plain to everyone the, the administration, meaning like, what does this mystery mean now, which for ages past was kept hidden in God. So God kept it hidden on purpose. What? What did he keep hidden? The mystery. What's the mystery? That people are going to come together that never were going to be together before the gospel. That was the mystery. It was, it was like so many religions even today. They're, you know, they're local. They're, they're cultural. They start in one place, and, and, and they're sometimes even one race, or one, and they branch out, but it's just because people move. It's not necessarily a melting pot of all these things. That was the plan from the beginning of God. He, he gave us prophecies about it, but the people didn't understand. It was kept hidden until now. And he says, Paul says, I've been given grace to do something specifically, to preach. Isn't preaching weird? Right? All the things that have happened and my kids won't get off YouTube, right? Drives me nuts. Like my kid will watch a documentary on sports on YouTube when there's a live game on the other channel, right? Like let's watch something live and real, but no, we just want to watch. And it's, you know, my kids aren't the only one, but what am I talking about? I don't know. (laughs) Preaching is still weird. It's a monologue, right? And it's been happening for 2,000 years. And it's not because preachers are getting better. It's because God and his wisdom, I don't fully understand it, he uses flawed men and women to preach not what they came up with during the week, but to preach the word of God and to make it plain. Preaching is powerful, not because of the preacher, but because of the word, and God still uses it. Some of your story, if we had time to get into your story, your story is God met you in a message from somebody you may or may not even knew. God will speak to your specific life. And I'm so excited. I am so excited about our summer together, Relentless Church, because of who's going to be preaching and what they're going to be preaching. Because uh, show, show me this slide. This is the slide we're going to blast over our social media when we get to it because it's just beautiful. These are beautiful people on the inside, right? These, these are uh, starting on June 19th through July 31st. My brother, uh, I had to get him to do two. So he's going to do two. That's why there's six speakers for seven weeks if you're doing the math and don't want you to get distracted with that. But, but what I know about these men who, who on different levels have had impact, you know, some of these guys have had just monstrous impact on my soul and my, and my heart and my life. And, and, and I'm on sabbatical, and they're willing, uh, Damon and Greg, to come from other states, Damon, Greg, and, and Dean, you know, Arizona, Florida, and, and uh, Illinois, Chicago. They're, they're like, yes, I will 
changed my summer schedule to come preach to people I've never met, right? Partly because they love me, but, but they, they love Jesus. They love sabbatical. They love the church. They love health. And guess what's going to happen? I guarantee it. What's going to happen is you're going to sit here. This guy or that, that you've never met is going to preach something, and it's going to touch you. It's going to God's going to meet you in the message. Why? Because they're so good? No, they are. But because they're seeking God already in their prayers. God, through your Holy Spirit, would you tell me what I'm supposed to preach to this church in Raleigh, North Carolina? God's prepared. Pray for them. And and I'm praying for them. And they're praying for you. And it's going to be, it's just going to be a powerful, beautiful summer of God. Not, Not holding it down till I get back. Stop right? We're advancing. God's going to be bringing it. And these guys, like I'm telling you, be ready. Now that's part of it, June 19th to July 31st. The, the couple weeks before that and then after that is our staff, right? Because our staff's going to be handling a lot, so I couldn't ask them to do 14 weeks. So uh, Joy, who's in the room and is still on uh, maternity leave, so you can talk to her. Just don't ask her anything about church today. Uh, she's on that for a few more weeks, but she's going to help us on the back end. Raph is going to do a uh, a life-changing, um, church-changing series in August. And then Raph was supposed to preach these next two weeks to get us to June 19th. He was supposed to. But then we had a conversation this week, and, and Raph said, well, let me give you the background of this first, because I, I, I realize a lot of you have never been with us for a football season at Relentless, right? So you need to know this in advance. So uh, where, does, where to begin? We have a lot of issues with our allegiance. In fact, I don't wear my team colors, my college team, because I learned real early here, people can't hear the gospel <laughs> if there's certain things based on the team you cheer for. So that, that's, that's college football, college basketball a lot. So, so I'm not ashamed of who I support. I just don't want it to get away in the gospel. So what we found as a church is that we can't come together on that. We're never gonna come together. What we do decide to come together on is NFL, professional football. We, we felt like God led us to rally around one team collectively as a church. And that is our local, beautiful, God-blessed Carolina Panthers, right? Amen. So, so a lot of you have other, some of you don't care about football. Beautiful. Just somebody ask you your team, I don't know, Carolina Panthers, is that what they're called? Just say, that's fine. You're with us, right? Some of you, you grew up somewhere and you have allegiance because like, that's my team. Stick with them. That's fine. We're not asking you to sell out your team, but a lot of teams that are got people in the NFL, they got a, like a team B, like a second team. That should be the Panthers if you're a part of Relentless Church, right? And if you can't do that, then just don't hate on them, right? Nobody like... The Panthers, they're not hateable, right? So a lot of Sundays in the fall, we'll end the service with a prayer and then amen, and then we'll say, go Panthers, right? Occasionally, depending on the game, the situation, we'll pray for the Panthers, right? We just put that in God's hands. Now, we're not, we're doing something wrong here lately, but that's another story. We're, we're gonna, it's coming, it's all gonna be good this year. So that's the background of who we are as a church. And we've all bought into that as a church, partners, staff, RAF, this week, with a little grin on his face, he said, how are you going to react when you get back? And I've trained the church to end the service with Go Pats, right? Which is Patriots, which is his team, New England Patriots, Go Pats, right? And I, and I, and I couldn't believe what he just said. And like, I'm waiting for him to say, I'm just joking, I'm just joking. And he just said that and just left it out there. Um, so I had to let him go. Um, so... <laughs> Raf's not here, um, and he won't be here again. Now, I felt like, Seth, I felt like I said that 
the same way first service. They thought I was serious. They got real quiet. They thought I fired the man because he, now he did say that, but he, uh, he is preaching. He's going to pray for Raph. Um, I am so, man, I'm so blessed to get to be your pastor here specifically. You guys are just different in a beautiful way. Um, and it's not just Raph, it's a team. But as he preaches and as he, if there is some big decisions that need to be made, a lot of that's going to fall on Raph. So let him hear through, you know, email, text, through your voice, but specifically through your prayers that you're with him and for him. Um, so he's going to take us the next couple of weeks. And then June 19th, it's going to be these uh, guys and then Raph and Joy on the back end. We believe in preaching. Now, what was Paul preaching? He's preaching the gospel, specifically the mystery of the gospel. Now, now check this verse, verse 10. It gets good. His intent, who's God's? His intent was that now, through the church, now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. His intent, all along he had a plan. God did. From the beginning, he held it. He held it till the perfect time, through the Messiah, through the death on the cross, defeating of sin, death, and hell, to the resurrection and the power. Then Jesus hung out for like 40 days, a month and a few days. Did he? That's all he hung out after his resurrection. And then it began. What began? The plan all along, the hope of the world, the local church, the body of Christ. Now, he says, his intent was that through the church, the manifold. That's a weird word. I don't use that word unless I'm preaching Ephesians 3, right? It is translated manifold. It can also be translated. If you go to the Greek and like the, the most literal translation would be multicolored. It's talking about the diversity of God. It is connecting to the context of this whole scripture. Listen, I'm, I'm, I, love, I love a good uh, drama. I love, a, I love a show where you got to listen and stay with it, right? I, gotta, I love a show where you got to, you know, not leave the room. Sometimes I'll watch a show with my family or, or I'm watching one of my favorite movies and they're like, I want to watch this with you, dad. I'm like, great. You gonna watch it though? Like, yeah, I'm gonna watch it. And then we're, we're, we're halfway. We're at this, you know, huge point and like, they're going to say this thing that's going to matter so much later. And then they get up. Like, where are you going? I'm still with you, dad. I'm just getting a bite. No, I will be happy to pause the TV. Wait, let's just stop. You're going to miss something that's massive. Like, just get your bite and then we'll come back. We live in the age where we can pause and unpause, all that. Like, that's, there's nothing wrong with, with putting a verse on, on Facebook. Like, it's the word of God. It's real. It's where it's true. But man, it's so much deeper if we'll get the context. You can't just lift this verse and separate it from Ephesians 2. What was he talking about? He's talking about there's two groups of people that don't believe each other are fully human. You're too unclean. You're pagans. You worship all these Greek gods. The Greeks looked at the Jews and you only think there's one God and there's all these ridiculous rules and, and, and there was not just like we don't like you. It was you're not as human as we are. We don't mix relationally, maritally, definitely not spiritually. Like we are going to do our own things. You live your way, we'll live our way. And the cross killed the hostility. It wasn't that they just didn't like each other. It's that they hated it. It was hostile. It was violent. And now through the church, this is connected to that. God's manifold, diverse, multi-layered, multi-dimensional wisdom is going to be made known. To who? The world? Well, eventually, but first it says 
to the rulers and authorities. Who's that? That's like angels and demon stuff, y'all. They don't know the plan. They're not God. They don't know what God's doing. They see that something's happening, but they don't know. So now in history, in the first century, God began the church of Jesus. And through the church of Jesus, everybody, spiritual powers were getting in on the plan all along that God's diverse wisdom would be made known. How? Through the church. That's deep and beautiful. How? According to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus. It's not something we're doing as a multi-ethnic church. It's something Jesus already did. We're just living out of what he called us to be and said we were 2,000 years ago. It was his eternal purpose, and it was before 2,000 years ago. It was the plan all along. Now, Jesus, our Lord, verse 12, in him, who? Jesus. And through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. You know, we try to be a church that's very open to wherever you're at with God and to seekers. And I have a heart for seekers because there's a lot of people that have rejected Christianity and they've rejected a form of Christianity that Jesus himself would also reject. And we should not sleep well at night with that. If people hear the gospel and say, I don't want to live for me and I don't want the gospel, like, I can sleep good with that. If people reject the gospel that they never heard, that's not okay. And it's hard to to be a seeker today because there's the internet, there's all these bold and social media, there's so many opinions, there's so many angles, there's so many ways and different versions and how do you know? And a lot of people have given up. Like, how do I know what the real Jesus is? There's, you say he's this, this guy says this, this people, this, I don't know. I'm just gonna, you know what? I'm just gonna live my life and figure it out when it's over. I hope there's a God who loves me and he's merciful. That's what people do, right? I get it. Here's how you know. Here's a way you know. You, don't, you want to know if you're following the Jesus that's real of Scripture, the one who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, or a Jesus that has been hijacked and manufactured by man? The Jesus of Scripture, when you follow him, these two words show up in your heart. Freedom, confidence. That's how you approach God. If you're approaching God and I got no freedom and no confidence, man, I would really question if you know the Jesus that's the real Jesus or some fake version of him. There's a lot of fake versions and they never lead to freedom and confidence in your approach to God. That's what we live in. That's what we enjoy. That's what we, it's contagious. That's what we're learning to live out of together in him, through faith in him. We get to approach God through Jesus with freedom and confidence. Verse 13, I ask you therefore, church, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Right, Paul is writing this from a prison Right? He, he, is, he is in trouble, and he's gotten into trouble because of the Jew-Gentile race thing. He was hanging out with Gentiles. He took a Gentile to the temple, to the outer court where it was okay, but somebody made up a lie that he took this guy into the inner court where Gentiles were not allowed to go because they weren't Jews, and that was a lie, but the rumor got worked around, and then it was violence, and there was an uproar, and then the community and the, the authorities just said, hey, let's just put him in jail because he's causing trouble. So he, then he appealed to Caesar, and he's stuck in this house prison, but in that house prison, he wrote through the Holy Spirit this beautiful letter that we know as Ephesians. He also wrote Colossians and Philippians, why he's on house arrest. And he's telling these Gentiles who have received this freedom, they, they, were, they were far from God. They didn't grow up in any kind of Jewish religious. They were worshiping everything. If you understand first century Greek, Roman, like what they did and how they lived, it would make Vegas look like Amish country. 
Like seriously, they did anything and everything in the streets, the god and goddess of this and all the sexual, like it was insanity. Now some church planner or Paul or somebody shows up and starts preaching the gospel of Jesus. They never even heard of Jesus and the power of the gospel, they give their life to it. Now what do we do? We're Christians, we're followers of Jesus, but we don't know how to do that, right? But we're moved by it and, and God is, is being clear and saying, no, this is for you. Well, I can't be for me because I'm not one of the Jewish. And like, no, you're members, you're heirs, same promise, same inheritance, sharers of the, all that stuff. And they're so, and now their guy, Paul, is in prison and in trouble and they're feeling awful. And he's saying, don't be discouraged. Like God, it's always gonna work for glory. We got this thing, I got this thing. When I'm discouraged, when things happen badly in my life, I assume God's not with me. And I get discouraged and Paul's teaching us. No, sometimes things happen because of sin, because of other people, because of who knows what. Don't, don't assume when things are hard that God's not with you, he is. And he can use those times all oh, so much deeper. Like a lot of our growth happens. And those hard times, well, Paul's in prison and he's saying, listen, y'all, it's all for, for glory. Verse 14, for this reason, because of your glory, because God's still with you even when it's hard, for this reason, I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Right, the, the, all the, the prayer we prayed and the stuff happening in our country on a weekly basis, it comes from this, the source this, this phrase that we use, brothers and sisters, it's not, it's not a cute phrase, it's reality. We have the same dad. Every human and family comes from the same father, right across languages, across skin color, across all that stuff. We come from the same creator, we come from the same father. That's where our name comes from. That changes how you view people. I saw this beautiful quote from Miles McPherson who is, we've shown a video of him before, but he said, Racism sees the image of God in you, inferior to the image of God in me, right? So if I'm looking at you and I say there's a little less image of God in you than there is in me because of where you come from, how you talk, what your skin tone is, right? That's racism. And we, as people of God, multi-ethnic church or not, just scriptural people, like we should be the leaders against that because it says so many things like this to let us know, man, we all come from the same father, and this sets up, he says, for this reason, he sets up this prayer, verse 16. Paul said, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. So now you have these people that don't know each other, that have a lot of, a lot of tension, a lot of racial animosity, hostility toward each other, and now they're here together and the Holy Spirit leads him to pray this prayer that we're gonna to pray today, that he would be strengthened with power through his spirit in their inner being. What's that? That's not your body. That's like your soul. That's who you really are. Right, Ephesians 2, the gospel teaches that you're not, we're not trying to make bad people good. We're watching the gospel turn dead people into alive. That's way better, y'all. Way better. Dead people coming alive. How does that happen? It happens in your inner being. You can be a nice person. 
right? You can be a good person by the world's standards and you can still be spiritually dead. Only through the gospel are you made alive to connect to the purpose and the reason that you exist. So we're being made alive. Once we're made alive, now there's this prayer that we can grow in that aliveness. We can be strengthened in our inner being. And prayer is a piece of that. And Paul's praying over the church as I'm praying over our church that out of his glorious riches, that he would strengthen us with power in our inner being. Why? Well, verse 17, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That through our inner being being strengthened, we, we, we believe by faith that Christ is living in us, dwelling, right? I may need to dwell in some of y'all's houses these next 14 weeks, right? I hope not. But I've, I've talked to a lot of pastors, I've read a ton of stuff, and some dear friends of mine, and just say, hey, tell me, tell me what you learned, sabbatical, tell me how it went. And I always get, don't overplan. I try to do too much stuff, a bit off more than I could chew. And then, like, check on your wife and, and make sure you don't make things worse instead of better. I had one friend, dear friend of mine, I talked to a few weeks ago. I said, tell me about your sabbatical. He's like, uh, almost didn't make it. I said, what are you talking about, man? He's like, well, God's going to show you some things, and he is. I don't know what he's going to show me, but he's going to show me some things. And for this guy, he said, God showed me in my sabbatical that I lived off of people needing me, right? So it felt like a good thing, but in reality, it's really unhealthy, but, but it's easy as a pastor and a lot of other positions too. So he's like, I realize preaching and, and just being there for people and helping people through whatever, whatever, like I love that, but I loved it so much that it became my identity. So then I took a sabbatical and I wasn't doing any of that. Nobody needed me. In fact, and I hear this so many times from people who have done, in fact, the church was getting stronger without me, right? And he said, I just, I didn't know what to do with that. And I got really irritable and I didn't know what to do with my time. And I was at home. And it just got worse, so much so by the week two of my sabbatical, my wife called leaders and called the counselor and said, y'all got to come get them. You got to get out of here, either change something, get them some counseling or something, because I can't do this for a summer because he's driving me nuts. So we're praying that's not where we're going. We got some help so that doesn't happen. But if it does, I may call some of you and say, can I come live with you, right? <laughs> if I come live with you, I'm not coming to visit, Right? Jesus isn't, he doesn't come to visit. Some of you made a decision. I was baptized. It's not, he doesn't visit your heart. He makes residence. He dwells. And we got to pray this for each other by the power that's at work within us and our inner being. Why is that? So that we may believe by faith. You got to take him with you because he lives in you. We're leaving. We're going to all be wherever we're going to be five hours from now. Well, Jesus is here waiting on us to come back together. No, Jesus goes with us. That's the power and the beautiful, the New Testament local church that Jesus, we don't go to him in a building. He lives and dwells in us. We got to believe that and pray that. He continues, and I pray that, Christ, and I pray that you being rooted and established in love. That's, that's all, it's simple, right? It's all it's ever gonna be. Everything we do, we gotta take stands. We gotta say hard things. The gospel on some level is offensive because it says you'll never get to God on your own. You can't, right? So it's all, but in everything we do and say and act and everything we post and everything we disagree about this or that in everything we're rooted and established in love. And we don't just say that, 
We've got to pray that, believe that, live that out. Verse 18, being rooted and established in love, we may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp. And I stopped. I never do this. I don't stop mid-sentence without punctuation in a verse. But we got we to stop right here. Because this prayer is building and it's asking us that Christ would dwell in our hearts, rooted, established love, that we would have power. Who? Everybody, all the Lord's people to grasp something. And when it says what it's about to say, it's not talking about knowing something. I can't preach this in a way where you can say, oh, I know that now. That is not the goal. It's not that you would know it. It's that you would grasp it that you would hold on to it, that on your worst day on on your best day, when you feel the presence of God and you're sitting and you're tight with him and you're having one of those days where I don't know where you're at, in all of that, that you would hold tight, not just on an intellectual level, but on a deep emotional level. Some churches, are, it feels like they're anti, or some Christians, anti-emotion. Guess who created emotion? It was God. So on an emotional, this is an emotional verse that we would, the prayers that we'd have power with all the Lord's people to grasp what? How wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. Show us that. Thank you. How wide, how long, how high, how deep. All these dimensions of God's love. It's not just God loves you. Yes, that's true, but it's deep. He loves you in Christ, and it's Christ's love, and it's personal. It's deep and wide and long. It's bigger and better, and it's, and it's more intimate than we can words, you know, humanly describe. You are so loved. Well, you don't know me. You don't know where I'm at in my life. You don't know what season. You don't even know if I'm a Christian. Don't need to. You are so loved. It's the most powerful thing, and we use the word all the time, and if you're in church a lot, sometimes it can be like, yeah, I got that. No, you don't. If you think you got it, if you're not moved by it, if you're like, move on to something I don't know, you don't got it. The power for all of God's people to be able to grasp in our hearts how much Jesus loves us. We can pray that into each other. We can pray that over each other as a church. It is the key to everything we are. Verse 19, to know this love that surpasses knowledge. It's not just about knowing it. It surpasses knowledge that we'd be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's what we want. And he says all that to get to the big close. Remember, we could just preach this verse I'm about to give you, and I have. There's nothing wrong with that. But it means so much more if you know the context of what he's been talking about. Verse 20, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Him, who God, who is able to do immeasurably more according to his power that is at work, not was at work. Yes, cross. Yes, resurrection. What's better than that? Nothing. But he didn't. Sometimes we talk like he did this amazing thing and then he chilled. And then one day he'll do another amazing thing and come back and get us. No, the amazing thing is the power of the cross and the power of coming back to get us is still working everywhere in between. In what? In his church. That his intent was that through the church, the manifold, diverse, multicolored wisdom of God would be on display. We got to look at the context when we quote this verse, which if you don't know, is a pretty like often known verse because it's beautiful. Hi, immeasurably more. He can do more. You can, hey, young person playing baseball, you can pray that you can hit a triple, but God can do immeasurably more and you can hit a home run. That ain't what it's talking about. 
The context is not sports. The context is there are two groups of people that are hostile and have hatred towards each other that have now become family. In the first century, there are people that did not do anything with each other. And now they're sitting in a room or a house church and there is no hint of, let's have our Jews over here and our Gentiles over here because if y'all sit on the same side, it's gonna get ugly. So we just kind of separate y'all. There's no hint of, let's have Jews come to the 9 a.m. and the Gentiles come to the 11 because we don't want any of that stuff. There's no hint of that. It is something immeasurable. Nobody was even praying for Jews and Gentiles to work it out. Nobody even dreamed that. No, nobody thought ever Jews and Gentiles would be spiritually united. How could they be? Only through a God who does immeasurably more. He can do more than we can even know what to pray. And that can mean a thousand things, yes. But the context is not a thousand things. The context is the unity of the body of Christ. What it's saying today is that there can be a multi-ethnic church that is not just tolerating each other, but it's brothers and sisters and family, that there can be people sitting in the same room that deeply love each other. One says that the Second Amendment right to have a gun is God-given and my favorite amendment, and the other could say the best thing that could happen would be all the guns would disappear and go away tomorrow, and they are never going to fully agree on that issue, but they are completely sold out and bought in to each other under the gospel. That over and over again, the issues change, and it doesn't mean we don't speak. It doesn't mean that there doesn't need to be changes, and everybody's not going to agree. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is there are people that come together under the umbrella of the gospel that the world looks at them and like, I don't get, like, how are y'all together? And Jesus gets all the credit for it. Because nobody was even praying or thinking that could happen. We're not trying to lead our culture to a place where the violence stops. It's way bigger than that. We, the multi-ethnic church, is supposed to be leading to our culture to a place rooted and established in love where people that did not do anything together are now spiritually family, brothers and sisters. And the world Atheist, agnostic, whatever, they have to take notice because they've never seen that. That's what God's church was supposed to be. Now, him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be glory in the church, in the church, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. That his glory, like what does it mean? It means that his, his name would be honored, that he would be worshiped, that he would be on a pedestal, that he would be glorified, that he would receive the spotlight, not us, not Relentless Church, not humans, but it would go to God. That our unity would be so puzzling to the world, right? What does that mean? We're gonna get all in here and we're gonna like do a seminar and we're gonna all vote the same? No, never. If that happens, we're in deep trouble that we would all live out of love, seeking God. Christ is in our hearts. The same Christ that lives in you is in in me. And that doesn't mean we're always gonna see things the same way, but we're gonna be rooted, established in love and we're gonna be together and we're gonna display a unity that just is so confusing to the world. And the result will be, man, there must be something amazing about your God. If they can come together, if that dude may not have anything to do with race, 
I know that dude and I know that dude and they will never be friends. No, they're not friends. They're brothers. How do you explain that? Same father, man. Jesus lives in us, changing our hearts. It's evidence that God is real. That's why disunity is so powerful for the enemy and unity is so powerful for our God, his name and his church. That's through his church that he's gonna receive glory. So this summer that has started, I guess officially starts this week, my prayer for us is that you would think about what does that look like? How can God get glory in my conversation and my relationships? A lot of our next steps is to get to know people, right? There's not a lot on the church calendar in the summer, which means, hey, if there's somebody God puts on your heart, pray for them, reach out to them. Hey, you want to grab a bite to eat? You want to come to my house and eat? There's, I know there's risk in that. That's so beautiful. We start to get past just the hellos, which the hellos are good. It took us a while to get to that. So we're going to be patient. But just stepping in, we're not taking the summer off. Like, how does God get glory through your service? Right, you can start serving in the summer. You don't have to wait till fall. How does God get glory through your giving, through your love, through, through how you're living, you know, through the week, all those things that God would be glorified in his church for all generations. I'm gonna ask you to stand up and I just wanna pray this same prayer that Paul prayed over a church in Ephesus that had so many issues and so much working against it that was a beacon of light and glory. And I'm gonna pray this over you and over us and over our summer and then we'll be dismissed. I pray now out of his glorious riches that he would strengthen us, Relentless Church, with power, through his spirit, in our inner being, that Christ would dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that we'd be rooted and established in love, that we would grasp together with all of Lord's holy people, that we would grasp how wide and long and how deep and high is the love of Christ, that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge and be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And now to him, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or even imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in relentless church and in his global church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Father, as we go from this place, may we believe that you dwell in our hearts. If there's those in the room that don't even know you, have not put their faith in you, would you draw them by the power of your gospel to yourself? May we be a church that has something to offer to the hurting, broken world around us. Would you unite us in a way that's supernatural, that no man could design? Would you unite our hearts as brothers and sisters under you, our Father? And would you go with us from this place now? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Go Canes.